Well, this morning we have a, a gift, and anytime we have guests, I think uh, around here, hopefully we've gotten into a culture in the last seven years that, you know, my heart is, is, is to have uh, great teaching, and not just from men and women that have the ability to communicate the text and the scriptures, but also are consistently living a heart, uh, living in their own lives and their heart, worshiping Christ. And uh, Dan Thomas, uh, Dan and Sarah were here uh, with us in Green Bay for some time. He worked on staff for about four years, um, did a host of things here, uh, three kids. But Dan uh, comes from this family, the Thomas family, that started Torchbearer schools that are all over the, actually all, all over the world, and a place for kids, students to really take a one or two year break, to really just, uh, honestly, to probably figure out what how they're walking with Jesus. And, you know, Dan emails me when he's going to be in town, which is awesome because it gives us a chance to, to let him see if we have an opening to, to have him up here. But honestly, that's not why he's up here because it's convenient. I want you to know, I love his, his heart. It's really his heart. And I love getting people in front here, much like you just heard Emma, which surprised me this morning. Not that I didn't think her heart was good, but it's like, wow, that gift. And I think Dan carries that same kind of passion for Jesus. And that's what we need around here, is people actually having a living response to their faith. We want, we want to see that more. I don't know if you do. I need that. I actually need to go to the prison to see actual real people trying to really live out this walk with Christ. And I, and I, and I love uh, that about Dan. And so this morning we get a privilege. Many of you know him. He was here, I was about eight years ago. So you guys give a crazy Green Bay Community Church welcome to Dan Thomas this morning. And, and we did not call each other on purple and purple lights. We're just in tune with the spirit this morning, That's right? Right? That's right? right. Looking around, if there's much purple out there. Not too much. I think there was a couple this morning, but yeah. Sweet. It's great to be here. It's always uh, such a treat to come back uh, this year, with, or this time, without my family, um, which isn't a treat. My wife's home with our three kids, working hard. Oh, I noticed a light purple right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, but it's sweet. I, I really do feel like this is home in many ways for me, even though it's been eight years. My family and I uh, spent four years as a part of this community, and it was such an influential time in our lives. Uh, young married, first time we started to have, you know, we started having kids, and um, and it was uh, really meaningful. So it's a it's a privilege to be back to share with you, and uh, and to see so many faces, many which I know, and then of course many which I don't, and some I just don't recognize anymore. <laughs> it's eight years can change a lot. Uh, as I was hearing that song that Emma and Bobby were singing, I couldn't help but thinking about that idea of an idol, and uh, I. Left Colorado, uh, where I live on on Sunday, and kind of went from Minneapolis to La Crosse down to Southern Wisconsin to a, a camp retreat. It was the Christian Camping and Conferencing Association uh, kind of conference for Wisconsin and, and a couple other states. And uh, while I was there, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of talking about kind of how do we get the youth of this nation to put down their uh, their gadgets, their devices. Uh, and, and I think of that, I mean, I've got a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and I struggle with it. I, I struggle personally with it. You know, I can, you know, you get on your phone, you're always checking things, or the iPad, and, 
Uh, and it was interesting as we were discussing that, as we were kind of processing through, you know, okay, do you put parameters around usage? Do you put time frames? Do you say no using it on weekends? Whatever that might be. Uh, but at the heart of it, we've got to give youth something more exciting to look at. It's not enough just to say, hey, you need to put it away, you need to put some parameters, and for me too, for all of us. And whatever it might be, it might not be digital media, it might be something else that has kind of become that idol in your life, and a lot of times we think, oh, if I just kind of put that away, I think there's a place for that to just kind of I need to put that away, I need to you know, create some structure, we tend to go back unless we find something more attractive, more exciting that grabs our attention. And I think especially for the youth culture, there's this need to show that life in Christ is an adventure. It's exciting. It's way better than spending our time looking on the screen. Now that's okay. <laughs> and so as we dig into the word this morning, the, the passage that I'm going to share from really shares that concept, and, uh, and, and we're going to hit some um, kind of challenging, for me, uh, concepts in, in the text, especially as we look forward to Passion Week. Here we are on Palm Sunday, and over the next week, I'm sure there'll be times in your own life where you're reminded of what's going on, what happened 2,000 years ago. As Jesus came and as he was, was going through Passion Week on, on the way to the cross and on the way to the resurrection. And so as we kind of look from this view, looking forward, uh, I'm excited to look at what Scripture says about the excitement of life in Christ. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen as well. You can turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, some translations say he is a new creation. The old things have gone. The old things have passed away. New things have come. And I love this passage. It's a verse that many of us have probably learned from, from when we were kids. Uh, but I think there's an excitement, there's something about that passage, something about this truth that, that we long to experience. I, I was thinking through, what's the key to this passage? What's the kind of primary focus of the passage? I think often when I'm reading it, I'm thinking about these new things that have come, which is exciting. That's great. These new things that I'm going to experience that I want to see in my life. Or maybe we focus on, you know, the old things that have passed away. And we can all list a bunch of stuff that we're glad that because of Jesus, those things are gone. <laughs> no longer have to deal with those or, or they're going. But I'm not sure if that's the focus or the key to the passage. Maybe it's the new creation that we're made new. <laughs> new creature. Though those things are important and, and obviously vital to the passage, I think the key to the passage, the, the, the focus of the passage is what it says at the beginning. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, then these things have happened. New creation, old gone, new come. 
The, the wonderful truths, the promises of the passage are great, but those are the goal. Those are the end result. And sometimes we can spend so much time focusing on the end result that we miss the key to getting there. I uh, left Denver early on Sunday morning. My flight was leaving about 6 o'clock in the morning. My, it, the plane boarded at 5.30. And I lived two hours from the airport <laughs> up in the mountains uh, of Colorado. And so I was talking to my family, and, and they knew I was going to be gone for, you know, we knew I was going to be gone for a week and a half or so. And we decided, let's just go down to Denver as a family and get a hotel, and then I'll take the shuttle early in the morning to get to the airport. And so we, we went down, we packed everything up, you know, family night at the hotel, swim in the pool, and, uh, and so we get there, and as I got there, I got up to the counter and said, I, I need to get a shuttle tomorrow morning. My flight boards at 5.30, you know, wh what, what do you have to offer? And she says, well, we've got a shuttle at 3.30. like, 3.30? Really? I, this is like five minutes from the airport. And I'm like, don't you have anything later? And she's like, well, there's a 4.30 shuttle, but it's full. And so the only other shuttle we have is a 3.30, and it's almost full. I'm like, well, sign me up for the 3.30 shuttle. Yeah, you need to be here 15 minutes early. I'm <laughs> 3.15, oh, man. You know? And so I go up to our room, and, and the family's getting ready to just have fun, watch a movie, and I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm, I'm flying into Minneapolis. I've got to drive across to Wisconsin. And, uh, and so I, you know, set my alarm. I've got the little alarm next to the bed, and I've got my phone, and set my alarm on there, you know, for 3 o'clock to wake up. And, uh, and I fall asleep. Well, I forgot that last week was daylight savings. <laughs> I know, you guys are like, oh, no. This is the world of technology. Don't you love it? I mean, my iPhone, I, I was thinking, you know, set my clock, no, not even think about it. My iPhone in the middle of the night, changes for me. And so my alarm goes off. I look at my phone. It says, you know, whatever. I heard it out, go out, turn it off. I look at the clocks in the room, and they all say 2, two o'clock. And, and if I, you know, wasn't thinking right, I could have thought to myself, whoa, I must have set my alarm wrong, you know, give myself another hour to sleep, you know, put it on, you know, sleep for another hour. Thankfully, I realized, oh, yeah, time change. But imagine with me that I wasn't thinking that way, that I was too tired, and I looked at the clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said to myself, oh man, I've got a whole other hour to sleep. And so I changed the alarm, move it forward an hour, and, uh, and go back to sleep. Come 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, my alarm goes off, and I wake up, and I'm kind of getting ready to get ready, and all of a sudden, it downs on me. Oh, daylight savings. And so I get my clothes on, I get my bags together, I run downstairs to the front desk to see if by chance the shuttle's late, yeah, half an hour late, <laughs> and it's gone. And I'm stressed, because I've got to catch this flight. And so I'm telling the lady, and I, I don't want my wife to have to, you know, wake her up and grab all the kids, because we're not going to leave them in the hotel room by themselves, and pull, you know, get everybody in the car into the airport, and... And she tells me, this obviously didn't happen, I made it. But she tells me, hey, it's calm down, it's okay. There was actually a cancellation on the 430 shuttle. If you get in that shuttle, you will make it to the airport on time. If you get in the shuttle, you'll make it on time to catch your flight. It's okay, calm down. <laughs> she doesn't say if you find that shuttle. She doesn't say if you see the shuttle. She says if you get in that shuttle, there's a spot for you. If you get in, you will make it on time. What's the key to that statement? The key to the statement is getting in the shuttle. It's not getting to the airport on time. 
That's the result. That's the goal. That's what I'm hoping for. But if I don't get in the shuttle, I don't make it to the airport on time. And so Paul in this passage says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, the new have come. He doesn't say if anyone knows Christ. Now, it's a good phrase to say, do you know Jesus? It's a great phrase, but it's not the terminology Paul's used. He doesn't say if anybody has a relationship with Christ, even though a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ is a great phrase to use. He says if anyone is in Christ. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Because we don't really talk like that very often. And yet I think an understanding of what does that mean to be in Christ in many ways opens up the reality of what's to come. It, it helps us grasp why everything has changed, why there's a new creation, why the old things have passed away, why new things have come. And it has to do with this idea of what does it mean to be in Christ. So I want to take some time to kind of dig into that a little bit. It's a hard concept. I, I don't think you're going to leave here being like, oh, I totally get that because I don't fully get it. And yet Paul uses this terminology over and over and over again. And so let's dig in. If anyone is in Christ, what does he mean? Well, just as a clue, and, and you don't need to turn here or look here. It's just a couple of verses earlier. He says in verse 13 or 14 of the same chapter, chapter 5, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Huh. One died for all, therefore all died. Who died for all? Jesus. And he says, we've concluded that one died for all, therefore all have died. That's strange. But he's getting towards this idea of what does he mean when he says in Christ. He goes into a little bit more detail on the concept in Romans. Romans chapter 6, he spends some time talking about this idea of when one dies for all, therefore all died. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Most people don't think he's not talking about like a water baptism at this point. He's not talking about you need to get baptized. He's talking about getting kind of plunged into Jesus. If you've been connected with Jesus, you have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Paul says you've been buried with Christ. Baptized into his death. Therefore, you've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead from, through the glory of the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall be also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this. That our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he goes into a lot of detail of this idea of dying with Christ. It's a strange concept that, that when Jesus died, he says, we died. And you try to grasp your head around what does that mean? I mean, Jesus lived and died 2,000 years ago. And here we are on Palm Sunday looking forward to remembering his death and resurrection. And Paul says, hey, just so you know, when he died 2,000 years ago, you died with him. You died in him. The concept, the picture here is that when God looks at us who... who Sin, who, who judgment, we deserve God's judgment. When he looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Christ who died on our behalf, who died for us. That when Christ died, it's as if we were there on the cross with him. That the, the consequence and the judgment of sin that we deserved, it's as if we paid it in him. At, at the Timberline, the, the school I... Um, direct and work at. I, when I first got there, I was the dean of students. And so we have about 38 students who come. And, uh, and I was in charge of kind of dean stuff, connecting with them, discipline, hanging out, creating activities. And one of the things we did, we'd have men's class. And we had you know, about 20 guys who were in our, our, that, that student year. And we'd have men's class. And, and we had this activity we liked to do. It had a whole illustration. But I would get dressed up in hockey gear and goalie gear. You know, if you've ever seen, you know, goalie dressed up, you know, on your full-on goalie gear, helmet and everything. And then my friend Zane would, uh, he'd go out there and he would kind of be in his regular clothes and he'd stand behind me. And then we'd give uh, our guy students, they're about the distance of that wall away from us, we'd give them a, a driver and a bucket of balls, golf balls. And we'd say, start firing away. And I'd sit there in my goalie gear and they'd be sitting there lining up, and Zane's standing behind me, you know, protected by me. And these guys, I mean, most kids, you know, you give them a chance to, to whack a golf ball at somebody, <laughs> and they're so excited, they're hitting it, you know, and most of them, they're just shanking left and right, you know, they can't hit it straight. But every once in a while, you got that student who could just nail it. And uh, we had a lot of Canadians, a lot of hockey players, and hockey players are always good at golf. Hands down. And so these guys, you know, there's a couple where I heard the ball whizzing past my head and then I heard them hit it. I mean, it's, you know, the sound moves slower than the ball. And they're like, whoa, this is crazy. And while I'm doing this, I'm standing there in my goalie gear, you know, nicely protected, I hope. And Zane behind me is kind of standing back there and he's like, whoo, you know, and he jumped behind me and then, whoo. And he'd kind of, you know, run out a couple steps and then dive back behind me. I mean, it was ridiculous. I was the dean of students at that point. And the next year, I became the principal, a little more responsibility. And, and I saw these guys doing this again. They were redoing the same thing in the last time. And, and I said, Zane, I, don't, I want you to stay behind the goalie. The next year, I became the director in charge of everything. And I'm like, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what was I thinking, right? The things you do. But this activity was so fun. And to see Zane jump out and jump in, the guys were like, I'm going to hit him. A lot of times our students come, and, and that's their understanding of their relationship with Jesus. That's their understanding of Jesus' kind of protection from God's wrath. 
that it's something you can kind of get in and get out of, or, or, or kind of got, Jesus is in front of you as a shield on the cross. He's kind of died for you, but I can slip out of that. And so I'll have students who will come to me and say, oh man, I don't know. I, th- I, think, I don't think I have a relationship with Jesus. I think I you know, lost my salvation, or I don't know if I really believe, you know, I, they wrestle through it. I don't know if Jesus really has forgiven me. And, and I ask them, like, did you give your life to Jesus? Did you trust him? Did you believe yeah, but, you know, I did this, and I've been wrestling with this, or this, you know, addiction, I just can't seem to kick, and, and I know he wants me to, and, and you kind of hear it over and over again. It's like they feel like they kind of jumped out or slipped out from behind Jesus. But the truth is, we're not behind Jesus. We're in him. We're not shielded behind that goalie gear. You're in the gear with Christ, and you can't get out. And it's so encouraging to talk to these students. Yeah, you might have fallen into sin again. You might have kind of struggled with the same area of temptation over and over again. But to encourage them, I'm not saying don't fight the battle. But remember, it's been paid for. You were on the cross in Christ paying for that sin. Even 2,000 years later, when you believed him, God reckoned it as if you were there and as if you paid the price because Christ paid the price. You can't slip out. You are in him. And so that's part of the beauty of this truth. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. But that passage in Romans doesn't just talk about being in him in his death, being united in his death. It says we've been united in his death so that we could be reunited in his resurrection. Here we are, Passion Week, looking forward to Good Friday, the death of Christ. But we all know you don't stop there. That, that coming to Sunday is the resurrection of Christ. And Paul says we've been united in his death so that we could be united in his life, in his resurrection, in newness of life. The, uh, the, the term that he uses often in scripture, and even Jesus uses, he talks about us being in Christ, but the Bible also talks about Christ being in us. There's this mutual union, this mutual connection, us in Christ, but also Christ in us. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Christ in us. What does that mean? Jesus in John, John chapter 15, another well-known passage says this, Abide in me, live in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit, of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Of course, the picture there is clear. You've got a grapevine that's connected uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the branch. You've got a branch connected to the grapevine, and, and it's, it's abiding in the vine, but if you know anything about anything to do with plants, <laughs> it's not just the connection to the vine that makes grape grows, grow out of that thing. 
It's that the life of the vine is actually going into that branch and producing the fruit. About two months ago, I got a call from one of my interns. And, and our interns kind of help run things. They, they run different parts of the program. And it was work day. Our students have a work day every, every Tuesday. And they're all around campus working different projects, cleaning rooms, doing, you know, cutting wood. And I get a call from my intern. He sounds a little bit nervous on the phone. And he says, hey, Dan, Cameron cut his finger. And I, I know Cameron. He's one of my discipleship guys. I spend a lot of time with him. And he's a little crazy. <laughs> I said, oh, Cameron. How did he cut his finger? You know, I could tell he's a little nervous on the phone. And he says, well, we, he was running the wood splitter. And anytime somebody says, like, they cut their finger and wood splitter in the same sentence, it's probably not a good thing. And, and, and so he's like, he was running the wood splitter and, and he got cut. And I was like, well, how bad is it? And he said, well, it's still attached, but barely. I'm like, okay, this is bad news. Again, all my kind of director thoughts are going through the paperwork. And Cameron, what's going on with his finger? So I run downstairs. He's coming up. They've got a car already ready for him to take him to the hospital. And I look at his finger, and it is, I mean, it's not bleeding a lot. I'm sorry if anybody doesn't like gruesome, gruesome things. But it is cut through. I mean, it is, I'm like, that is not good. And so they rush him to the hospital. Uh, about 20 minutes away to our nearest kind of clinic. And, uh, and by the time they got there, his finger was already turning blue because it had been, kind of, it had been severed in, in every important way from the rest of his body. And he got there, and the doctor looked at it, and the doctor said, you've got to get down to Denver because if you don't do surgery on this immediately, you're going to lose that finger. Uh, it, it has been disconnected. The finger is dying. And so they rushed him down to Denver, got him into the operating room. They had it all set up ahead of time. Uh, and the, the, the surgeon spent, it was like four or five hours working on his finger, reconnecting things. They took a vein from his wrist and put it into his finger. They, took, they put the bones back together, you know, sewed it all up neatly, um, connected it. The finger, which was dying, which was turning blue, was reconnected to the body. The finger was put back into the body, reconciled to the body. But that wasn't all. You see, the finger's problem actually wasn't that it was disconnected from the body. That was what caused the problem. The problem for the finger was that the body was disconnected from it. The problem, biggest problem for the finger wasn't that it wasn't in the body. The biggest problem for the finger was that the body was no longer in the finger. The blood, the life was no longer flowing through the finger. And so immediately that finger began to die. And it's amazing how quick that can happen. And so the first step was to reconnect the finger to the body. The finger would be in the body. But it was only a step so that, for the purpose that, the body could then re-indwell, reconnect with the finger. And that's the beauty of this picture of being in Christ, reconnected to Christ. But not just that. It's not just the cross. It's not just us being reconciled to God. In Romans 5, it says, you know, we've been reconciled to God. How much more, having been reconciled to God, will we be saved by His life? We are in Christ, connected to Christ, just like Cameron's finger, but then the body, the blood, the life of Christ is given to us. 
And that's the goal. That's the ultimate end result of the cross is the resurrection. That the the life of God himself would be flowing through our life, through our veins, through the person of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would be able to work through us. That finger by itself, blue, dying, could do nothing. He, He could hardly move it. But once it was reconnected and the blood was flowing back in, then it could do anything the hand wanted. It took a whole week of them making sure that the blood was flowing before they let him get out of ICU. A whole week. Five, five you know, hours for the surgery to get the finger into the hand. A whole week to ensure that the hand or the body was getting back into the finger. Because that's essential. Again, going back to our passage we started at. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you in Christ, Christ in you, reconnected with the life of God. That's the goal. That's the whole reason Jesus came, was so he could die to reconcile us back to God so that he could then give his life back to us. That was the goal. And so he says, if anyone's in Christ, what's happened? You're a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Just like that finger reconciled to the body, the blood back in the finger, it becomes a new appendage. It works now where it wouldn't work before. It's interesting if you look at the, uh, what's going on in the Greek there, and if you have certain Bibles will show you this, but where it says he is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The word he is is often in italics, so it'll be a little subnote. Those aren't even in the text. That's not in the Greek. We put it in there because it doesn't make a lot of sense by ourselves. But if you read what scholars say about the passage, they said it really could be and maybe should be read. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. New creation. If anyone is in Christ, everything becomes new. Everything changes. It's such a major change in life and how you function that everything becomes new. Because you no longer live in your own strength. You no longer live with this kind of guilt of sin and hoping that you can stay behind Jesus. No, you're in him. And it's taken care of. But not just that. Christ is in you. His life. Up in Colorado, we have some beautiful mountains. And you've got some beautiful stuff in Wisconsin, too. (laughs) There is. But in Colorado, there's the mountains. And I grew up there. And so there's just this place in my heart to see the mountains. And in our little town of Frazier, we get all sorts of people who come up there and, and live. A lot of people uh, came from maybe Christian backgrounds and have pretty much rejected all of it. You know, some not at all. But a lot of people who live up there, even though there's this incredible beauty, they don't believe in a God. They're atheists. And and as I'm processing through, okay, how has everything changed? How is it a new world? One of the ways is when you look at God's creation. The atheist, the one who doesn't believe in God, can look at this mountains, look at the, you know, the beauty, it's, you know, sunset, light shining on the mountains, snow. They look at it and they say, that is incredible. 
That is amazing. And they're right. They're right. And they can actually look at it and recognize how good it is, even as an atheist. No problem. And it's a good thing. It's good to recognize how beautiful creation is. But as an atheist, it has to stop there. It can't go beyond that. It stops at the mountain itself, at the beauty itself. That's where their, their kind of worship and praise ends because there's nothing else. They can kind of bounce it back at themselves. They can say, well, I'm great because I'm in those mountains. But it can't go beyond the mountains for the atheist. For the theist, the person who believes there is a God, things have changed. They can look at the mountains and say, wow, that is incredible. But it can go beyond the mountains. They can say, that is incredible, and I know that there's a God who made it. And so their worship doesn't stay at the mountains. Their worship goes beyond the beauty of the mountains to the creator who made the mountains. And they can look at that creator and say, oh, God, you are good. You are creative. You are powerful. And that's awesome. The atheist looks at the mountains. Can't go beyond that. The theist looks at the mountains and can worship God. But the Christian gets to go farther than that. The Christian looks at the mountain range, looks at the beauty, and says, wow, that is incredible, and remembers that there was a God who made those mountains, who is greater and, and better and, and more beautiful than the mountains themselves. And he looks at the Creator and says, wow, God, you are incredible. You are powerful. But then the Christian remembers that it was that God who came down to earth to die for him. And all of a sudden, the great and beautiful and, and majesty of the mountains and the greatness of God actually encourage his, his own spirit, his own soul, because his own value is elevated, knowing that it was that God who came to live and to die for me. Wow. Nature becomes a whole different thing. It becomes a worshiping of how beautiful it is, and then you worship the God who made it that beautiful, and then you remember that that God cared and loved enough to come down for you, which just makes you want to worship him more. For the atheist, he stops at the mountains. For the theist, he can go beyond the mountains to God. For the Christian, he can go beyond the mountains to God and look back and be encouraged in his value. But for the Christian who understands what it means to be in Christ, Christ in him, he in Christ, it goes farther yet. The, 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 the believer who understands in Christ looks at the mountains, they're incredible. He looks to God who made the mountains, and then that, that God who is so great who made the mountains reminds him how valuable he is, that he would be willing to come and die for him. But then he recognizes that that same God, the God who made these mountains, that powerful God, actually lives in me. That he's given me his spirit to live in and through me in this world. And all of a sudden, the Christian life becomes something it never was before. It's the greatest adventure on the planet. That the God who made this world has come back into the life of humanity 
through the cross and the resurrection. And it changes everything. As Troy is talking about going to the prison, and, and, and you know, what do you say? He's not in a prison. And yet he goes and he's talking to these guys, and there's this incredible peace and belief that God will use me. That when these guys in the prison look at me, they'll see Troy, but they actually get to see Jesus. They get to see God in him. As Bobby and Emma are up here singing, there's this beauty. I mean, Emma's voice and Bobby's ability to play guitar, it's awesome. But there's something greater going on that we get to see God. We get to see Christ in them. You at work every day. Wake up, 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning, get ready to go to work. All of a sudden, your view of work has changed because it's not just you going in, it's God going into work that day. And you say, God, what do you want to do today? I, I, I can tend to be scared and insecure and, you know, I never would have liked to stand up and talk in front of people. <laughs> And yet I can remind myself every time when I'm sitting in my chair and I'm afraid to get up here, Lord, I, I know what I want you to say. I know what I, you know, I know the word. I know what I want to, but I don't know if I can do it. And there's this great reminder of don't worry. You don't have to do it. I live in you. I, I will do the work in people's hearts. I can't affect your heart. <laughs> I can't change you. Only God can do that. And I don't need to. And I don't have to bear that responsibility because God is alive. We're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, I love communion because as Jesus laid out this picture of communion, as Jesus lays out what it means uh, to celebrate his body and his blood, he didn't just say, you know, I want you to look at it. I want you to think about it. He, he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, you know, I want you to feel something. He actually tells us to eat something and to drink something. It's interesting. He said, eat the bread, which represents my body, and drink this juice, which represents my blood. And I think there's some depth of meaning to that, that we're not just kind of distantly connected to Christ. We're not distantly connected to the Passion Week. We are intimately connected. Jesus calls us to ingest communion because the reality of what happened on the cross is so much more real and so much more personal than just joining a club or being a part of a movement. It's actually God re-entering your life. Whether you feel it or not, the Bible says it's true. Troy talked about the difference between a fan and a follower. To move from this idea that we get to be a part of something to the idea that he is a part of us. As you take communion, I encourage you, and the worship team or Bobby can come back up. I encourage you as we're taking communion to think about that picture. And if, it might be hard if you think about that finger and Cameron. We're going to celebrate there the reality that we were connected to Christ, that we are in Christ but even more than that, we get to celebrate the fact that he is in us. And as you eat, as you drink, remember the reality. Whether you feel it or not, doesn't matter. 
Scripture says it's true. That the God of the universe lives in you. Lord, I thank you for this truth. As maybe hard as it is to fully understand, and yet the beauty that we can see even with our small understanding that you have given us yourself, that you have died for us, but also that we have died in you. That we don't have to pay for those sins any longer. Lord, and you've given us your life. I pray that this week, as we go through our week, as we think about the passion of you, Lord, that we would remember your life. That everything would be new. That we would be new creations in how we approach even the mundane things of our day. Lord, thank you in your name.